0: Welcome to Pod Zero, a podcast that explores the problems and solutions of the climate crisis. Pod Zero is made possible in part by assistance from My Weather Radar app. Download it for free in your phone's app store. All right, it is time to jump into this show, and uh, I am really happy to do so with uh, someone who uh, we at It's Real uh, has been. We have been working with her for uh, a little while now, and that is Kristen Fulmer, who is the founder and CEO of Reciproc, uh, which is an organization that is a change agent and devoted to sustainability in real estate. Kristen, how are you?
1: Hi, good, thanks for having me, I'm excited. Oh
0: oh God, yeah, yeah, it's very cool to have you here. And with that, I'm just gonna ask you, what is sustainability to you? Because it's such a very often used term that I think that uh, maybe the definition it is not clear to a lot of people. So what is sustainability to you?
1: Yeah, no, I, it's it's not clear. And I think a lot of times people think of one specific thing when they think of the word sustainability. Maybe it's energy efficiency. Maybe it's recycling. Uh, I think of sustainability. Um, well, actually, I used to think of sustainability as just being about efficiency, the most output for the least input. And I would use the word efficiency instead of sustainability to explain it because I felt like naysayers of quote sustainability might be a little bit more excited and uh, advocate for efficiency because it just makes sense um yeah. but i think now efficiency is only a subset of sustainability i think sustainability is really about positive change anything good uh in the in in the world um, requires some element of consideration for sustainability, um, whether that's financial sustainability, social sustainability, environmental, and probably to do, uh, to have real positive change, it has to be all three.
0: Got you. right, so it's kind of bringing things together for, you know, as, as, as I said, you are a change agent and, you know, people who are in that space, I mean, that's a real thing. It's not like something that people like, like it's not like an Instagram term, <laughs> you know. Also
1: an Instagram term, though. <laughs> is it really? I mean, it probably, probably. Uh, oh,
0: probably is. Okay, good. I was gonna say, oh my god, am I that old? I haven't, <laughs> I haven't seen the change agent, you know. But I mean, when I said that, I mean, like it's, you know, it is a real thing. It's, it's when you're dedicated to bringing about uh, a positive, you know, change in. Uh, to any area of life and our existence. And so that's very cool. So tell me about Reciproc. Uh, You are the founder. What is it that you guys do? And um, how are you affecting sustainability?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I think just first off the bat, uh, you know, being a positive change agent or a change agent is really just about asking the right questions and connecting dots between different organizations or people or teams already doing really awesome things. Uh, So a lot of what I find myself doing as an agent is really connecting really great things that are already happening, um, less about creating that change or starting it on my own. Um,
0: That's very important.
1: Yeah, And, and I think a lot of times people are, you know, focused really on their specific goal and not realizing and recognizing how they could collaborate with someone else to have even more impact together. Um, So that's kind of how I see an an agency. Um, But also, uh, I created Reciproc as an agency, quotes, instead of a consultancy or an uh, advisory service, because I see myself as an advocate or a representative of sustainability for different organizations, primarily uh, in in the sports world, but but others as well. and uh, you know if if i describe myself and introduce myself and people still aren't understanding what i'm do i probably will break down and just say i'm a sustainability consultant (laughs) um but but i try to describe it um as a positive change kind of more holistic change that we talked about ahead of time
0: right so now how does that how does that actually relate to real estate which i think is very important um real estate when you think about the imprint that it has on the planet uh, has to be huge because of all the materials that go into building anything. And so you're talking about bringing together so many sectors of our economy uh, from transportation to materials to, um, you know, uh, lumber to you name it, a uh, concrete is yeah. huge, yeah. huge. So, all of these things uh, make a very significant impact on the environment. So, w- what do you do in that space that helps lower the impact or the negative impact that all this building, which is necessary, might have?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if- First, you know, people instantly, when you think of buildings impact on the planet, you think of their operations, you know, right now, how much energy are they using or how much water are they using? How much waste do they produce? Um, and those are really important things. Um, and buildings also impact the people inside of them. Um, I think we're realizing that now in in the COVID world of, you know, air quality or air circulation, even lighting quality can be hugely critical elements to how people function in a space and Mm. their sustainability. Um, And then, you know, that's just the building once it's built. Um, And actually most of the carbon emissions of building a building, like you said, come from the supply chain, come from everything, the embodied carbon of all of the materials that happen before it's even constructed. Um, And so in the real estate world, you know, Really, we need to be one creating um, ways to make existing buildings more sustainable for people and the planet by supply chain and health and well being strategies and energy emissions reductions or energy use reduction. Um, but also, as we're building new buildings, which we know will continue to happen, I think the statistic is what is it, 30 New York cities? Um, for the next like 30 years, uh, every month, it's some ridiculous, staggering amount of new construction happening, all consuming um, are all producing carbon emissions. Um, and so we need to design buildings uh, to reduce that embodied carbon as well.
0: We should make them all out of bamboo. There's your answer. Every building made hey. out of bamboo.
1: <laughs> it's better than concrete, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> this is this is very true. Yeah. So now, you know, there are, do you advocate for some type of codification of the industry when it comes to buildings so that there's minimum standards that have to be met to lower um, energy use, carbon output, and the whole deal? Uh, because the thing is that everybody will say, So you're going to make it so expensive that now nobody can live anywhere or we can't have buildings, man. Thanks, man. You ruined everything, man. We used to have buildings. Mm -hmm. What do you say to that person?
1: I mean, the, I think one of the best examples or metaphors we could turn to is like the fast food industry and regulation on how to decide whether food is healthy or acceptable to consume or not. (laughs) And, you know, One of the biggest concerns is the way the system is set up is that healthier food is, for some reason, more expensive. Um, Or if you think about it, it's actually just that unhealthy food is cheap. (laughs) It's poorer quality. Uh, And so I think, you know, you can almost equate it to buildings in the same way. Um, I definitely advocate. I think it's hugely critical that there's some kind of policy and regulations in place, both at a city level, a federal level. and there's a kind of a level of understanding of what our lowest threshold or minimum threshold is for carbon emissions of a building. Um, and cities are starting to do that and hold building owners accountable for not meeting those goals, whether they have to pay um, fines or, you know, something even more severe in the future. Um, so I think it's, it's hugely important. Um, but I think it's also really exciting that companies now want to go above and beyond that and show how truly they're creating, you know, they're leaders in this doing way above even some of the the newer regulations.
0: Right. Yeah. Of course, that becomes, you know, kind of bragging rights at that point, right? You know, it's like, this is what we're doing. And, you know, this is what we should do, but this is what we're doing. It's so much bigger and better. Look how great we are. And that kind of corporate responsibility or showcasing of corporate responsibility, whether it's genuine or not, doesn't make a difference as far as I'm concerned because you're doing something good you know
1: yeah it gotta use capitalism for, for what it's good for which is pushing brands to do better
0: that's right I mean I don't I don't really care if you feed the homeless because you want somebody to say how great you are for feeding the homeless what I care about is that there are homeless people being fed right yeah. so you know that's you know but uh, and, and that's why a lot of people mistrust large corporations It's because they say, well, they're only doing this because they want the PR campaign to go along with it. To which I say, let's say I wanted to give you $10,000 just because I like people saying Chuck Nice is a great guy. (laughs) Would you really give a crap? (laughs)
1: so this is a is this a hypothetical or is this a real scenario that's happening (laughs) I like that
0: (laughs) um tell me about green sports and what is your association and why is the sports world uh now popping up all over the sustainability landscape
1: yeah I mean well to answer the last question first it's all the reasons we just said I think it's it's really that companies which include a lot of rich people that own sports teams um, Mm -hmm. see the need to have a stance and take responsibility and um, realize that they are going to start being held accountable if they don't have some of these things in place. And so I think we're, we're seeing it more partially because of that. Um, And, you know, in the last year, we've seen how powerful the sports industry really is to create positive change, whether that's, you know, Emergency COVID pop up, pop up testing locations, voter uh, polling sites, um, individual athletes advocating for what they truly care about um, and what they're passionate about, aside from just playing their sport. Um, it speaks over languages, over political boundaries, over gender, over race, over location. Um, and I think that that's really exciting as a means to advocate for climate action, for environmental justice. Um, for social justice um, and and how all of these things come together.
0: Do you feel as though that when it comes to the climate crisis, when it comes to issues of sustainability, that the sports world um, should be kind of at the spear tip of the, what I'll call messaging, marketing and messaging of this issue?
1: If the sports world is quiet, it is a huge missed opportunity and could potentially they have enough of a measurable measurable impact when you combine the whole world of sports together that it can't be overlooked. Uh, I know it's something you and I have talked about of just the power of entertainment in general and and sports maybe as a subset of that. Absolutely. Sports is so ingrained that even, you know, people that wouldn't even call themselves a basketball fan probably know what LeBron James cares about. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the the biggest... you know, criticisms or hesitancy to pursuing any sustainable or climate action is the finances. But when it starts to hit your bottom line, you start to kind of pay attention. I think, you know, an example that just happened the other day was that the NHL was hosting outdoor hockey games um, on what was supposed to be a frozen pond at Lake Tahoe. And the quote sun got in the way uh, hmm. There was an issue where they hadn't basically anticipated the current climate conditions and they had to delay the game, which meant that hockey was being aired at the same time as SNL, which is a huge business problem.
0: <laughs> like climate change screwed up your, your television airing schedule.
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you it's think like about- you,
0: know, you now have to invite climate change into the meeting. Right. When when you start figuring out how you're going to schedule your television shows, it's like, wow, we, we got to ask climate change <laughs> whether or not we could do this.
1: That's right. I mean, all of a sudden we're, you know, seeing more baseball games with rain delays, which means so much less money for, you know, concessions because people will go home and not right. save the game. Right. Um,
0: this is going to be inextricably tied to your business model, no matter who you are. Mm hmm. So if you just wanna sit around and make contingencies as they happen and lose money, here, lose money here, lose money here, lose money here, lose money here, just like, okay, and just kind of put out fires all the time, then you're probably you're probably gonna lose <laughs> as opposed to the business person who says, you know what? We need to take this seriously. We need to look ahead plan accordingly and we also need to be a part of the solution.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think being proactive and and considering all of the different scenarios that, that could happen and anticipating for them and trying to reduce the negative harm done by them is is so important. I mean, it's it's interesting to think about um the last year with the pandemic. Wimbledon I think is the only event that had pandemic insurance Um, and I I might be getting that wrong but very few events had that and so you know that's just one way to basically be anticipating and recognizing hey things are going to happen in the future and we need to be ready for them Um, and let's reduce the impacts I mean just go back down to the building scale buildings now need to be designed to accommodate for sea level rise or for climate-related impacts, um, and the ones that don't will probably pay for it in the long term, just based on like getting flooded, <laughs> um, and you know, just very clear things like that. So thinking proactively and saying what could happen, where do we think the water could rise, and how do we plan for that and anticipate that? Chances are we'll probably save money in the long term.
0: Absolutely. Well, there you go. I think saving money is a good place to end any interview because I don't have any. And so that is one day a fan. That's a fantasy of mine is to one day save money. No, I'm joking. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
1: If you can talk about sustainability and saving money together.
0: (laughs) Well, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Because a lot of people see it the opposite. They feel like I'm going to have to spend money. But, you know, before we started this interview, I was talking, we were talking and, um, The thing that I don't understand is that if you're building anything, you're normally building it to be around for at least a 100 years. So if you build something that saves money over the life of its existence, it didn't cost you more money. It's actually saving you money all the way across the board. So I, you know that for some reason is a very difficult psychological place for people to arrive.
1: Investment is tough especially when you don't know what the outcome is going to be, <laughs> but if you know what the outcome could be and it's bad, <laughs> you should probably plan to not have that happen.
0: You know what? That there you go. That I mean, shoot, we can end the show right now. <laughs> if you if you if you know it's going to be bad, you should probably plan for that not to happen. <laughs> There's a t-shirt, people. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Kristen Fulmer, thank you so much. Founder of Reciproc, uh, board member of Green Sports, and uh, we certainly appreciate you just spending a little time and talking to us about uh, an often not discussed uh, area of climate and sustainability, and that is sports and what we build.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. Uh, Let's continue now, because it is uh, really a distinct pleasure to have with us Joanne Pasternak, who is now you got to just bear with me, because these are all the things that Joanne is doing right now. Okay, it's not like I'm going to read a resume from like, oh, this is where she started. No, this is what she's doing right now. Joanne is the president and chief impact officer of Oliver Rose, uh, which is a um, consultancy focused on amplifying the impact and inspiring change. This is the executive director of the Golden Heart Fund, working with the San Francisco 49ers alum, who are in need of financial and medical, uh, as well as psychological and emotional support. She's the co-founder and chief development and strategy officer of global sports uh, sports initiatives, uh, dealing with athletes' voices, or working in conjunction with Harvard University. and she is a board member of the United States Olympic and Paralympic uh, Committee. She is also, that's right, there's an also, also a professor at Johns Hopkins University, a sports and entertainment impact collective. And when she doesn't have, uh, when she's not doing any of all that, uh, I would assume she's getting a nap, but I know she has two children so that can't even be the case. Joanne, welcome. And when do you
2: sleep? You know, Chuck, thank you. Um, it when you say it out loud, it does sound like a lot. I will tell you the most disruptive for my sleep is my nine-month-old puppy. So um oh. with all of that, uh as uh as by, by way of introduction, I came into this world of sports philanthropy as a competitive figure skater, as a youngster. And if you know anything about figure skating, it's sure. basically that they schedule us around hockey practices. Yep. So I got used to- So you're to there at five
0: o'clock in the morning.
2: Five o'clock in the morning, tracing yeah. patterns on the ice, yep. jumping and throwing myself at a hard, wet surface. And then I go to school <laughs> and you know, the day just kept going from there. So- <laughs> Um, It's been a long, long journey of lack of sleep, but I jump out of bed every single morning now excited to work on the initiatives that I'm a part of because they're, they're moving things forward in terms of how athletes have an opportunity to influence the topics that are of utmost importance in our world today.
0: Absolutely. And that's, you know, that's what we're going to talk to you about that. We'll key in on that in just a second. But, uh, you know, when you talk about moving things forward and dealing with athletes, giving them the opportunity uh, to do so, um, you are a legacy when it comes to uh, service, when it comes to um, being of service. Your father uh, was the former president and CEO of the Special Olympics International and the head of energy policy at the Federal Energy uh, Administration. He was part of the principal staff for the White House Energy Resources Council and uh, the President's mm-hmm. Council for uh, Environmental Quality. And I say all that because that's like hero stuff for me as a person who cares so much about the environment and the climate crisis. And, you know, I just wanted to take a second and give you an opportunity to talk about growing up with somebody like that as your role model and what, you know, how that led you to this point of your journey.
2: You know, it's interesting as you describe my dad with all these great accolades, but he would have first and foremost talked about himself as a kid who grew up in Brooklyn in uh, Brownsville and in Flatbush and, when he decided to go to the cooper union for college and told his mother that he was going to study engineering she asked him why if he was so smart he was choosing to pursue a career driving the subway train because she just (laughs) didn't have i mean and you know you look at it and i remember my dad telling me years ago that the analogies on the sats didn't make any sense to him because he had barely left his borough let alone his state um or his city um, when he was growing up and and so he never took anything for granted. And he inculcated that to me and to my siblings. And he always told us that he wanted to be able to create doors of opportunity for anybody to amplify their voice. And you know, my father passed away just six weeks ago after a long journey through younger onset Alzheimer's. His so voice sorry. was cut short so early. He was only 73 when he passed. Yeah. But the journey um, brought to light for me not only all that he had accomplished but all that he had left to do and so in some ways Chuck I, I take great pride in the the torch being passed over to me but um, but I I remember hearing stories about the first Earth days and what it meant to be an environmental pioneer in the 1970s yeah when at the time people were lining up every other day for their gas allocation he went up to Alaska for the pipeline project and it was it was such a new concept. And he had started off as an aerospace engineer. So he was trying to launch people into space and ended up looking at the greenery right in front of him. And um, and so around that, the legacy that I hope to be able to build upon is to increase visibility as people become complacent about issues about environmentalism and thinking to themselves, well, it's, it's taken care of or it's not as big an issue as one makes it out to be.
0: Well, that's fantastic and uh, of course, you have our uh, great condolences for the loss of your father. And, uh, but, and, but uh, we also are very proud of him. Uh, posthumously, of course, I didn't know him, but knowing you is very easy to see that he was a, a dynamic individual. So yes, and he
2: wouldn't have. You guys would have been good friends, but he also wouldn't take any crap from you. So that's, that's how it works
0: around that, there. Well, that's why we would have been good you friends. You know, we're <laughs> half Philly. So we we yeah, and, and, and you have
2: that Philly connection. I know you went to
0: Penn. Yes, so yeah, exactly. So um, now it's funny because you said amplifying athletes' voices, and it's so funny because I have written here how exactly are you working with athletes to amplify their voices on very important issues. And you use the exact term that, that I wrote down, which I love. So talk to us about that. W- what is that about and what are you doing and how does it relate? You know, well, I won't relate it to the climate just yet. Just talk about that.
2: Well, I, I was, I spent 10 years heading up philanthropy for the San Francisco 49ers in the yes. NFL. then spent a couple of back-to-back championship seasons with, with the, the Golden State, State Warriors. Warriors, heading yeah. up for them. By the way, yes. sorry to interrupt. Oh no, go ahead
0: used to be the Philadelphia Warriors and that's why Uh, I love them.
2: Yes and actually it's interesting if you go to the Chase Center they have on display the championship rings from the Philadelphia era as well and because I am a proud many generation back Philadelphian um, I I do hold that near and dear as well Uh, but when I was with those organizations one of the things that I experienced was that athletes had been in in my viewpoint Treat it as though it's kind of like a game of Mad Libs. You know, you fill in the blanks about the proper noun, the noun, the verb, the adverb. So we need three athletes to show up to do this community event. Go find three athletes, Joanne. Well, we're all different. We're all unique. When we rejiggered that at the Niners in order to look at which causes were most relevant to each of the athletes, and we were able to reach out to them specifically around causes they cared about. What we saw was this incredible uptick in participation, enthusiasm, and authenticity. And so Athletes Voices, the program that we launched last year, um, is really creating playbooks for athletes to be able to speak up and speak out on any topic that they find interesting. Mm -hmm. The belief is that athletes should not be relegated to speaking only about certain issues because that is what they believe to be subject matter experts on you can be an advocate for any cause that is important to you. So we're working with athletes who are trying to amplify the messaging around juvenile diabetes or environmental causes, Black Lives Matter or LGBTQ+. Like it, it, whatever it is that's important to you, we're here to help you to develop your voice around that.
0: What do you say about these certain, I will say, detractors who yes. say, shut up and play? like this is not this and this is not what i paid my money for right but so to hear you guys talk about this talk about that or you know preach about this you know there is that small element out there i think it's less but it's still there
2: oh it's no it's 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 significant and we see it every time an athlete puts something out on social media that is not related to the game- uh-huh. there's going to be a tremendous number of people who are weighing in with an opinion and basically saying like shut up and dribble the ball. That statement got under my skin in a way that's hard to even describe because what I've seen personally is the influence that athletes can have. And by the way, when you relegate them to this category of saying they're athletes, it's forgetting about the fact that they are men and women, they are mothers and fathers, they are people who have experienced hardships or people who've experienced the highest of highs. And I also am fully aware that when you give people credit for where they've been, where they're going and what they've done, then it gives them a chance to really move forward around a cause. So your athletic career may be short-lived. I mean, for mine, I injured out at 16, but I still look at myself and think I'm a figure skater. So that identity is part of who you are. Mm -hmm. But when you can stand up and use that same passion you put into your game on the court, on the pitch, on the field, whatever it might be, on the ice, um, and apply that and apply those same skills into the world of social impact. We've seen it firsthand that whether we like it or not, our kids are looking up to athletes as heroes. And by the way, our grown-ups are too. If a guy wears a certain pair of shoes out on the court, that shoe sells out. So how can we leverage all of that visibility and that influence for good? And that's how I look at it. It's It's when you have a platform, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to stand up and say something and do something? And yeah, you're dribbling the ball at the same time. And ultimately you're winning games. Let's hope if you aren't winning games, let's focus on that too. But once you've got that skill set in place, let's leverage it in order to make sure that we're influencing young people or fans or, you know, folks in the right way, certain athletes. And again, when we, when we found the guys who wanted to go and had a message to share, Kids would sit up differently and listen. But the other thing is it's around the authenticity. So speaking up about a cause that you care about and speaking up about it in a way where you're enabling people to listen. So part of the athletes voices program is focused on enabling athletes to use their true voice for the athletes who have something they want to say, but are worried about how it might be received. And we can allow them to lean in with their voice. They're speaking to what they know and what they love.
0: So let me ask you this. Do you think that fans can ever influence the players
2: mm-hmm.
0: the way the players influence the fans? Climate is the most important thing in the world, right? So, you know, if this was something that fans cared more about, do you think that you might get players inspired to respond?
2: Interesting. I mean, the... the... <laughs> Like players, I think the hardest thing in this past year was having games without fans and just recognizing the hollow nature of being in a stadium an arena or even a pool deck where you don't have people cheering for you or booing at you or whatever it is. Um, absolutely, I mean, players are highly influenced by the receptivity of the fans. Mm-hmm. And when you bring the issue into a context that directly impacts anybody It becomes part of their life. So let's go to this environmental impact concept. Now, if you work in professional soccer, you know how much time effort and money is put into outdoor natural turf, and how much water is used how the soil content matters how the acidity of that soil content matters and the players want the best playing surface, but they also want to know that they're not having an adverse impact on the environment while they're out there enjoying this pristine surface. So by linking it back and contextualizing it in a way where it now relates to how the fans enjoy their experience, how the players are able to use this lovely field to the best of its advantage, but also to just connect it with that place where that that intersects. I I work with an athlete. I... God, I love, I love him. He's amazing. He's a six foot nine inch former uh, lineman um, who, I mean, I used to look in awe at how much food he would have on his plate. And a lot of it was meat. And then he started to try to regain his health and he became really aware of the outdoor environment and how some meat consumption was impacting that. Mm -hmm. He went vegan. He ran an Ironman triathlon. He looks Phenomenal. He looks like a. I mean, he's no longer the the big bulky offensive lineman. He's like a cut machine. But but now something that he's become passionate about is he recognized that when he was experiencing some like asthma like you know influences from the environment, um, what was methane gas? Where was that coming from? How was that impacted by the fact that he is a very large football player was consuming a ton of meat, and what could he do to maintain his Body and still be in tip-top shape, but not cause environmental degradation. So you start to look at it like, I mean, it's like anything. You don't. It's hard to quit smoking or lose weight or whatever it is you're trying to do, unless there's something inside you that kickstarts it for you. So with with environmental initiatives, one of the things that I, I think. I point to the San Francisco 49ers is doing an exceptional job of relating what they're doing within their stadium to the game day experience, the field quality, the initiatives that they have in place just to keep a stadium running, but to do so in a way that is so environmentally conscious. It's, um, It's enabling fans to come and enjoy something without having to think about it. And I love when you can like after the fact be like, oh, hey, I'm gonna go back to your hot dog check. Um, that hot dog you just loved, that was actually a beyond meat, you know, kind of right. vegan hot dog.
0: Right, yeah.
2: But you didn't notice until I told you. So same thing, the seats at Levi's Stadium were being washed by recycled rainwater that's been filtered and the seats look shiny and new. Awesome. Right. Somebody so, didn't go with like a chemical and rub on them. Right. What happened?
0: Just power wash with rainwater. That's Absolutely. amazing.
2: I mean, how many of your stadiums do you know are carbon neutral? Like they're out there and all the new ones are building with the LEED certification top of mind. I think there is so much authenticity around this movement. And Chuck, I really applaud you for bringing additional visibility to it and taking a different approach. Um, Because the more we can talk about it and the more we can uh, allow people to approach it in a way that feels comfortable and allow them to use their authentic voices, the better off we're all going to be. So I'm coming back anytime you want me.
0: Uh, Well, thank you. I'm glad that you said that. I have it on tape now, and uh, and you'll probably regret it. No. (laughs) (laughs) Well, listen, Joanne Pasternik, thank you so much for being with us, and I'm sure we'll be talking again in the future. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, it's time to close things out. We're going to bring this bad boy home, and we're going to do it in high style with Canal Merchant, who is the co-founder and managing director of Lotus Advisory, which supports leaders pursuing transformative change at the intersection of business, government, and community. That's a great intersection, Canal. Absolutely. I hear, nice, I,
3: nice to be here. Yeah. Yeah, it's good
0: to, good to have you here, man.
3: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. It is an interesting intersection. I mean, that's where everything is happening right now on so many topics, right? It's not just about living in your silos anymore. You can't just be business only or government only or out there in the streets on your own. We gotta be figuring out ways to talk to each other and work, to get, work with each other. So it's a really fun space and I'm, I'm lucky to be in it. Where do you see that with respect to the climate crisis? I think it's essential. I think we were just talking a second ago that we're not gonna solve climate with just PowerPoints and white papers. We gotta gotta communicate the message, we gotta communicate what's going on to different people in different ways. And business people talk a certain way, policy people talk a certain way, media, culture, sports, all these different sectors, people talk in different ways and we gotta find ways to meet people where they're at. And a lot of it is just language. It's not just strategy, it's not just science, it's not just facts, it's about message and communication and storytelling. And so that's what we're really focused on, especially in terms of the sports industry which is a big part of our work. Without a doubt. And so listen, you've been a partner in some really big stuff. I mean,
0: it's like building ballparks and you know, just things with so many moving parts. What have you learned from that? And what can we as regular citizens, what can we do to take some of those principles to move our leaders to take action on some of the solutions that are necessary for this?
3: Yeah. I mean, I I think a couple of things, I think you got to take a big problem and break it down into smaller pieces. Like we're not going to solve all of this, the carbon emissions, the, you know, polar ice caps, all this stuff. You're not going to get it done in a day or a week or a month or a year. So we got to take these big issues and break them down into smaller pieces, simplify, make it tangible to people. Like I was talking to a former NFL player a couple of weeks ago, and he's doing some amazing work around environmental justice and sports. And he's like, just take, one day a week and just don't eat meat because a lot of the places where meat gets processed are right next to neighborhoods that are, that are getting polluted. They're getting a lot of bad things happening to them. And there's right. an environmental justice component to it. So it's right. about finding ways to connect with people in really simple ways.
0: All right. So uh, you know what? Here's a, here's something that people hear yeah. all the time. Sustainability, yeah. sustainability, sustainability. So what is sustainability to you? If you were to tell people right now listening, this is what sustainability is, What it, what would it be for you?
3: You know, it's what your mom or dad told you when you were five years old, that if you're gonna come out into the, in the living room and put all your toys out there and play, you gotta leave the space you're in better than you found it. That's it. We are stewards of this world for a period of time. And then we gotta go. And then somebody else's, it's gonna be their turn. Are we gonna leave the world better than we found it? Or at least as good. That's the bare minimum we could do is just be as least as good as we found it. And if you think about our water, our air, our soil, nature we're not doing that and so that's what sustainability is to me it's not complicated again you think about it on the individual level you think about the social level how are you going to leave things at least as good if not better than you found them i'm
0: gonna i'm gonna say that's right now kind of my most favorite definition thus far leave it better than you found it you know clean up your okay uh amen (laughs) you know it's really that simple okay cool if you're involved in this it's because you want to serve in some way shape or form even if your heart is black and soulless like mine (laughs) after years of doing comedy so speak to that for because you not only in sustainability but just philanthropically period like you've done so much so what is that for you what does that come about where's that come from how do you get more people to tap into that for themselves?
3: It's a it's a it's a deep question. That could be its own podcast, to be honest. Yeah, but, you're right. Um, I honestly I don't know any other way. Like it's in it's the currency of my family, you know. Like we came here as immigrants, we weren't rich, we're poor, we're like somewhere in the middle. And I just see what my parents did and my mom in particular, just making sacrifices left and right so that we could have a better life. And if you're aware of that that is an obligation and it inspires a sense of loyalty that you got to pay that forward. And I think on top of that, when you can figure out ways to do well and do good or, or or do well by yourself, but then help others, it's just a better feeling. So you don't even have to be so altruistic about it. It just feels good. Like your life feels better. And I think that's true even when you're dealing with corporations um, or politicians or any old people is like, if you can figure out a way where I can pursue my self-interest, but one plus one equals 10, because a bunch of other people are positively impacted, you feel better, you do better. I mean, I just don't know how to, I'm, I'm resigned to the fact that like, this is just who I am. And so every day, everything I'm looking at, it's got to be bigger than just me.
0: I like that bigger than me. Like start there. You know what I mean? Start with bigger than yourself. You know what I mean? Oh my God. I feel like, what was that scene? What was that I think it was Roots, just like Kunta Kinte. Behold, the only (laughs) thing greater than yourself. Like, yeah, man. Uh, No, that's cool. Yeah. Um, So let me ask you, because now you're on the board of Green Sports. And you're in that space of sports and sustainability. Sports teams are kind of so integrally connected to the community. It's like the only thing where people feel ownership It's like they pay to feel ownership of that thing. Nobody feels Mm -hmm. like they own Target, you know what I mean? Like I go to Target, uh, you know, if Target is closed, I'll go to Walmart. Well, not me personally. But you're not
3: wearing like Target on your shirt. Right,
0: I'm not walking, right.
3: (laughs) You're not like stopping the streets of Minneapolis when Target has a good quarter, right? Right. But But if the Vikings won the Super Bowl or the Timberwolves won the championship, everybody's involved. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you believe, who you love. We all come together. It's the magic of sports. It's just like, not like any other industry.
0: How will we go about impressing these teams to be more a part of the messaging necessary to get people to to care about the crime crisis?
3: I mean, this is what I I spent all my time thinking about this because I'm fascinated by sports. I used to be in politics and we could do a, a town hall meeting on homelessness and 10 people show up maybe 15 if there's food right <laughs> sports sports you get a full room all the time because we're all passionate about it and i think what fans need to harness their power in ways that i think in american culture we're just not used to right okay. like fans have so much more power than they realize and you don't have to be passive about it and what i'm really f- focused on right now is look at what we just did with criminal justice reform through sports you know five six years ago colin cabaret loses his livelihood because he has a peaceful protest. And you fast forward five, six years later, you got Black Lives Matter on the court of the NBA. You have hockey players. You have uh, mass protests around the country. And we've mainstreamed a lot of thinking and a lot of ideas through sports because of the athletes, because of the philanthropy, all this other stuff. So how do we do that on climate? And how do we do that around environmental justice in particular? And the fans have to drive it. I think you got to do two things. You got to make sure, one, that it's okay to do it because there's a lot of athletes or teams that they're afraid of getting political, and they're afraid that they're gonna alienate people. But the reality is when you poll uh, folks, if you really just talk about what we're really talking about and and get outside the politics, the vast majority of people care about uh, preserving the environment. They want clean air, they want clean water, they want clean streets, clean soil, all that stuff. They want locally sourced food. They want all these things, and they want everyone to have, them. they want safe spaces for kids to play in regardless of where you live. And so the fans have to say, it's okay for you to get involved, right? You don't have to be scared to talk about this topic. And then way more powerfully than that, you got to show them the way, well, that you demand it, that as we move forward, uh, sports can't just be over here, that you, sports is part of the broader culture. These athletes are citizens, the residents. I was just talking to a hockey player last week. who said, look, I'm going to get involved in climate, not because I have a platform as an athlete, but because I'm a citizen of this country. And it's okay for me to use my, now I just happen to have a platform and y'all would do the same thing if you had it too. I'm going to use this platform to talk about the things I care about. And we need to reward the people who are doing that and show these leagues, these teams, these athletes, sponsors, that it's okay to get involved, that they have to get involved. And we will reward them for what, when they actually do the real work, Mm -hmm. that that can be profitable, that they can do well by doing good. It sounds easy. It's really hard to do. But we have to drive that conversation. And again, you just look—I go look at criminal justice reform. People were terrified of that topic, right? Right. Um, three, Absolutely. four, five years ago, doing crazy things right. on, like Black Lives Matter, such a freaking fundamentally obvious thing was so controversial. Five years later, we still got problems, but it's a little bit better off, and the people drove that. So we got to do the same thing on the climate. We can't shy away from the challenge.
0: Climate is not political. Science is not political. That's right. It just is. The sun will rise tomorrow at 648 here in New York City. Regardless and, of who
3: the president is.
0: Uh, who, I don't care who is president. <laughs> I don't care who is mayor. It's, guess what? That's just the rotation of the earth, period. Before we leave, we, uh, I just want to know, is there anything you'd like to just, that, that's burning within you, that you'd like to just talk about real quick?
3: Um, I think I'm just, it's, it's what we've been talking about, is we got to focus on the message and the narrative and the storytelling. And if you care about sports, if you care about climate, I need your help out there in the world. Think about ways to tell this story in new ways to different people. Um, Again, you can go back to these other social movements. Different people are gonna respond to some messages. Some people are gonna be excited about or motivated by the protection of the environment or issues of justice, but other people are gonna get excited about the potential for new jobs, the potential for new opportunities in the green economy. So we gotta be really open-minded and creative about how we enroll people in this movement, because we will solve this if we could get the critical mass of folks moving in the same direction. And it's not just the science and the PowerPoints and the strategy, it's the message, it's the medium, it's the storytellers. So folks like you, Chuck, who are out there um, trying to to open this conversation to more people, you are on the front lines of, of figuring this out and I'm very grateful for it and happy to help in any way I can.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, you're right here with us. So I appreciate you right back at you, as they say. Um, And uh, uh, Kunal Merchant, uh, co-founder and managing director of Lotus Advisory. Thanks so much, man, for joining us. I'm sure we'll get a chance to do this again. I'd love to have you back and, and talk about more of this issue.
3: Awesome. Thanks, Jeff.